0: Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your baseball history podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jeff Paulson. Sitting in a remote location, kind of designated survivor for today's show, is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, without revealing your location, how are you doing?
1: Um, Well, I mean, I'm doing fine. It's just that there's a lot of very strange birds here. I don't know. It's really odd.
0: No hints. This
1: is a designated I know, survivor situation. I'm not hinting because I've never seen birds that look like this before. I mean, there's something wrong with them.
0: <laughs> well, now everybody knows you're at Hanford, <laughs> I, which in case you don't live in, Washington is a nuclear waste yeah, facility.
1: I have decided I'm going to go visit Chernobyl. And uh, uh, i tell you what, I did some fishing and I caught some really, really big fish, let me tell you.
0: All right. Well, Mark, as we like to do at the beginning of each episode, I'm going to give you, my co-host, the choice as to what we're going to talk about today. Uh, We could do a baseball history podcast, which I'm just going to tell you right now, I've already done some research on baseball history for this week. Or... We can rewatch a 1987 game between the 67 and 95 Baltimore Orioles and the 61 and 101 losses, Cleveland Indians.
1: Man, you know, that is a tough call because bad Orioles versus bad Indians. Sounds like a bad movie. Um, I'm going to go with baseball history, though. I think it's going to be a little more entertaining.
0: I think you are 100% correct. Uh, although that is that is baseball history, it's just bad baseball yeah, history. Yeah, this games. is true. So uh, I'm coming off a, a a bit of a vacation right now, trying to trying to get back up to speed. But I had some good two two noteworthy baseball things happen to me while I was on vacation.
1: Nice. Let's hear about uh, it.
0: One ha- now, you've worked in baseball for quite a while, yes. as I have. We don't go to a lot of games where we get to just sit in stands and be fans, but I did that. Uh, I went to a Salt Lake Bees game, which is, uh, I I grew up in Salt Lake. I went to Dirk's Field, which has now been torn down and where the new, I think it's called Smith's Ballpark is now. It's changed names several times but i sat there and watched a game and i got a foul ball dude that's awesome i've never gotten a foul ball or a home run ball i've never gotten i have plenty of game used balls that i get just from working in baseball but have you ever caught a foul or a home run ball
1: <clears throat> i i've like you have plenty of souvenir balls but they were all given to me or something like that um the closest i ever came was i had a don mattingly foul uh, come right back at me at about oh seven or eight hundred miles an hour and I was able to stick my hand out just enough so that I almost broke my thumb and didn't get the ball. Wow. Yeah, that's as close as i Yeah, I had
0: that. I had that, I think I've told you, the the John Rocker story. Yes. where I, I, I heard it go past my ear, and it took a chunk of cement out just like an inch to the right of me. Yeah. I would, I would not be here if that would have made, you know, if that would have hit me, because it, it broke right through the plexiglass in front of me. Yeah. That was scary. That's frightening. But I... I, I did not catch it. I, I reached with one hand because my phone was in the other hand. And I got it, though, on on the bounce. And then I immediately heard a small child behind me crying. And I my first thought, I don't know, am I a bad person for this? My first thought was... Oh, geez, there's going to be a small kid back there and I'm going to have to give, you know, I'm going to have to give them the ball. My first ball I've ever got, right. but I turned around and it was a real small child that was just scared because of the noise Oh, okay, and, and had no interest in the ball. So I immediately turned around and put the ball in my pocket so as to, <laughs> you know.
1: Well, you know what, man, nah. all that peer pressure to give the ball to a kid. Come on. I mean,
0: I say forget it.
1: Kids can get their own ball. I don't care. Then again, you, neither you or I have any children. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, when players come off the field, they always throw balls to all the kids. Yeah, They're not the going to throw it to, to us old timers there. So I'm going to keep
1: that ball. Yeah, nobody ever gives the ball to the portly old orange bearded guy.
0: All right. So being in Salt Lake, uh, my friend uh, who I was staying with, my best friend, he's a big movie buff, and the Sandlot was shot in various locations in salt lake city so we had the bright idea of going around and checking out all the locations where the Lot was shot
1: that is awesome
0: yeah so first we started out in a neighborhood where they shot uh, where all the kids houses were and they happened to be they they were right next to each other so it's not like they shot one house and then went three miles over and shot the other house they were in a, a very nice neighborhood we Stopped, Took a couple of pictures. Felt a little weird because there were like eight cars in front of one of the houses. But, <laughs> uh, but then the, the the big the big thing was to go to where the actual sand lot was. Right. You know where they built the diamond. And we knew I think twenty or uh, two years ago was like the twenty or twenty fifth anniversary of the movie, and they had refurbished this lot to look like it did in the movie. So we get over there and we expect to see something, but it is just once again an overgrown lot. There's really? no building on it. Yeah, but it you can barely see it from the road because really it's its part of people's backyards and stuff. But there's one small area where you can kind of look, but you have to walk on these people's property to really get over there and see it. But it was just overgrown. I mean, there were weeds like two feet high. We were very, very disappointed. But, well, that's a bummer. I
1: thought maybe you'd try and get a pickup game going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, I mean,
0: you could see, though. It's a perfect location. You could see where the diamond was. If you look at it on Google Maps, you can, you know, from overhead, you can see the the shape where the diamond was. You could see there's a nice fence out there for James Earl Jones's house and the dog and everything. They could all film it right there. But that was a little bit disappointing.
1: Is but, the beast still there or did you not wait? The beast? I, I'm
0: pretty sure the beast is long gone, oh. unfortunately. Okay. Big dogs like that don't live very long. And, you know, yeah. being 20, 25 years ago, I'm pretty sure he's gone.
1: Yeah, he'd he'd probably be on crutches.
0: R I P beast. Yeah. A Couple of other things here. You remember Jan Hervis Solarte? He sure. was played for the I believe the Yankees for a little while. Probably some I think he was a cub too for a little while. Uh he is now in Japan. He's playing for the Hanshin Tigers. Really? Coincid, yeah, coincidentally. Huh. Um, which is, you know, our friend uh friend of the podcast, Trevor from the Hanshin Tiger uh, Hunching Tiger's English News. So I, I was asking him because I saw some highlights of Salarte, who hit a couple of walk-off home runs right away once getting over there. But Salarte is wearing number 42, which is Ooh. obviously a number he couldn't wear here in the States. That right. it was interesting that he was wearing 42. So I asked Trevor if there were any numbers retired throughout the league in the NPB, like 42 is here, and he said no. But he said nobody wears 42, but it's not to honor Jackie Robinson. It is because the uh, number 42, he told me, is first, it's pronounced Yan Juni. And it, please pardon my my Japanese, a little rusty. <laughs> Yan Juni is how you say 42. But if you say four and two individually, four is she and two is Ni. And if you put those two together, Shi Ni, it's a hominin. For death.
1: Oh, jeez. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of, it's a superstitious, a superstition thing. That's why no, probably no Japanese player actually wears the number 42, even though they could. But I thought that was pretty interesting.
1: That is interesting. Yeah, but he uh, found his own way to honor Jackie. So that's cool.
0: Or he just likes to, you know, tempt <laughs> death. Or yeah. Or he just likes to
1: walk on the edge. Yeah. There you go.
0: Another thing. Are you familiar with Shane Bieber? the pitcher for the uh, Cleveland Indians?
1: I am, absolutely.
0: So (laughs) Shane Bieber, uh, he's actually a good follow on Twitter, but Tops came out with his rookie card this year. And uh, it's a good looking card. Uh, Tops looks really, really nice this year. But uh, on the back, it's got a little note, you know, how they'll give a paragraph, just a couple of sentences about the card. Right. So the back of uh, Shane Bieber's card reads Until Bieber did it in 2018, no Indians pitcher in 54 years had logged six or more strikeouts in each of his first three big league appearances. Justin was particularly comfortable on the road.
1: <laughs> what?
0: <laughs> so somebody who is proofreading these cards uh, was either listening to Baby or or just was not paying attention. <laughs> that's,
1: that's terrible.
0: And let a Justin Bieber reference slip oh. on the back of this guy's rookie card too. Oh, that's it's terrible. like.
1: And I mean like he doesn't get it enough, right? Yeah.
0: I know. I I guarantee you when he walks to the mound on a visiting, you know, when oh. he's on the road, they're yes. playing Justin Bieber.
1: Sure. Lacking originality every time. Yeah. But that's oh, too bad. Are, but he's
0: he's got a good sense of humor about it. So he's, he's he's having a good time with
1: it. That's funny.
0: All right, so uh, we got one more segment here in BP, our last last group heading into the cage, our debut segment. We got some good ones this week. So this show is uh, premiering on August 6th. So our debuts for people that made their Major League debut on August 6th. First one in 1890, Mr. Cy Young made his debut for the Cleveland Spiders.
1: Wow, that's right. He was a spider.
0: Yep, that was that was what Cleveland was called in the 1890s, up until that infamous 1899 team. Uh, Cy Young finished his career with a 511 and 315 career mark.
1: Yes, he had a few decisions.
0: Yeah, no one will ever come close to that.
1: No, not either one.
0: And get this, he started 815 games. He completed 749.
1: <laughs> oh, that's just nuts.
0: That is 66 games that he started. He did not walk off the mound at the end of.
1: That is bonkers. That's crazy, man. That was a different era. <laughs>
0: yeah, it sure was. He won one World Series and he was elected in the second class of the Hall of Fame in 1937. And we covered that. Was that last week? I think we covered the Hall of Fame. Um but get this in 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 all of his years he never won a Cy Young award. That's weird.
1: <laughs> what are the odds of that happening?
0: I don't know how you could overlook him every year but he did.
1: Yeah, no, he didn't win it. I mean, it's like Susan Lucci, what's going on here?
0: <laughs> uh next debut 1959 Billy Williams for the Chicago Cubs. Williams played 16 years for the Cubs and then finished up his career with two in Oakland. He was the Rookie of the Year in 1961, a six-time All-Star. He won the batting title in 1972 and was elected into the Hall of Fame in 1987. Very nice. I think think behind uh, Ernie Banks, Billy Williams for me is the guy that I think of as as not Mr. Cub, because that is Ernie Banks, but as being kind of the quintessential... Chicago Cub, Billy Williams.
1: Yeah, for me, it's Rick Wilkins.
0: <laughs> well, those journeyman catchers do make quite an impression on yeah. people. <laughs>
1: well, he's a lefty. Left-hand hitting catcher is very rare. Anyway, sorry. Yes.
0: Uh, we've got one more debut. This one is a little bit different. It's a name I'm sure you're going to remember. In 2002, Mark Hendrickson made his debut for the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I remember Mark Hendrickson because I went to school with Mark Hendrickson. He went to Washington State Uh where he first, uh, I first remember him because he made the all rookie team uh, in the pack then 10 for the Cougars, but that was for playing basketball. And it wasn't until his uh, junior year, or maybe it was his sophomore year, that he played baseball as well. He was a pitcher. And I interviewed him because I was doing radio for the the, uh, the Cougars baseball team at that point. And he played both sports. He played 10 years in the major leagues for Toronto, Baltimore, the Dodgers, Tampa Bay, and Florida. He also played in the NBA. He was drafted by the Sixers in 1996, he played a couple of seasons in Philadelphia, and then he had stints in Sacramento, New Jersey, and Cleveland. Wow. Yeah. And- Right now, he is currently in his first year as the pitching coach for the Cal Ripken-owned Aberdeen Ironbirds. Wow. But I remember Mark Hendrickson. A couple of players from those teams I I covered in in college made the big leagues. But Mark Hendrickson was definitely the biggest name. You know, being a left-handed reliever, he played until he didn't want to play anymore.
1: Sure, yeah. Those guys keep getting offers all the way down the line.
0: A couple of other things I wanted to note. Guys that played their final games on this day. In 1994, Bob Melvin played his final game as a player. Uh, I think he's gone on to be a pretty good manager, though.
1: Yeah, I think he's made a name for himself.
0: Manager of the year in both leagues. Yeah. Um, and currently, of course, the manager of my Oakland Athletics. Uh, and then finally, in 2017, Darren Dalton played his final game on this day. Dutch.
1: Dutch Dalton.
0: Did you know Dutch had passed away?
1: What? Okay. Well, I know I wasn't
0: aware of that. I was not either until I I read this that that was his final day. And and then I looked up his numbers and apparently he died in uh, 2017, August 6, 2017.
1: Well, rest in peace.
0: Yeah, I did I I'm sure I remembered when that happened because I always liked Darren Dalton. He was always he's a he's a catcher. He was a hard nosed scrappy he
1: tough. Had game. that yeah.
0: square jaw. Like yep. he had like he had kind of movie star leading man looks and he was a catcher and he was tough. And I really liked Darren
1: yeah, Dalton. Yeah, I always liked him too.
0: All right, so that's going to wrap up our BP segment of the show. Today we're gonna to let the ground screw come out and uh drag the infield, chalk those lines. And we are going to get into the main part of our show. And Mark is feeling a little bit under the weather. I got a little throat thing this Mm -hmm. week. So I have got a topic that is big enough that we can uh, fill some time with. Uh, I got to thinking about one of my favorite managers of all time, one that I grew up with locally. I am going to talk about Billy Martin.
1: Gotta love Billy Martin.
0: Yeah, now I've had to break this up because there Billy Martin has two completely separate careers, and they are both equally interesting. There's Billy Martin the player, and there's Billy Martin the manager. And this being, you know, this is our podcast, so we make the rules. I I decided I was gonna start with Billy Martin, the the manager. Uh, because that's what I wanted to really talk about. And I've got a ton of stuff here. We'll we'll make sure to circle around and do Billy Billy Martin, the player though, at some point, because it's equally as interesting. So let's talk about Billy Martin. I'm sure a lot of people already know quite a bit about Billy Martin and his trials, tribulations, and travels. But let me let me give you a little bit of background. First, let me finish up his playing career to get you into the right frame of mind here. So 1957 was kind of a precursor for Martin's propensity to not be able to stay in one place too long. He came up with the Yankees in 1950, and he spent a couple of years in the military, but not by his own choice, where he had some issues that will like I said, cover, uh, you know, on another another episode. He was an All-Star in 56, but in 1957, the Yankees went to Kansas City, and they had an opportunity to trade Martin to the A's, the Kansas City Athletics at that point. So during the series, he was traded. He switched dugouts, watched his best friends on the Yankees, Mickey Mantle, uh, leave town. Following the season, he was then traded to the Tigers, where he played the 58 season before being traded to Cleveland spent a season with the Tribe before then being dealt again after the season to Cincinnati. He played a season there, and guess what happened to Billy
1: Martin? I'm going to take a guess that he got traded.
0: He was traded, this time to Milwaukee, who he played for for six games, and then he was traded to the Twins. <laughs> wow. In his final five seasons, Billy Martin played for seven teams. My gosh. Which, yeah, that's shocking. But just wait till we get to his managerial. Oh <laughs> his yeah, managerial
1: time. You know a little about that.
0: Yeah. So Martin retired from uh, from playing in 1962. He was hired by the Twins as a special scout, and by 1965 he was back on the field as the third base coach for the Twins. After a couple of seasons down the third base foul line, Martin was named manager of the Twins' Triple A club, the Denver Bears, where he turned them around in one season and uh, made them a winning team. And seeing that, the Twins named him the manager of the big league squad for the 1969 season. He led the club to a 97-65 and 65 mark, winning the AL West. This was the first year the American League had two divisions, but he won the AL West. It was not controversy-free, though, throughout the year. Martin criticized the farm system in the press, as well as getting into a fight with the Twins' best starter, Dave Boswell, outside a bar in Detroit. This will not be the last time as a manager that Billy Martin will have issues in a bar.
1: Yeah, I, I I seem to recall a few bar fights, yeah. The
0: Twins played the Orioles in the first ever ALCS, but they were swept by the O's. The press and fans let Martin have it after the quick exit. Even the Twins owner, Calvin Griffith, questioned why Martin had started a 5-5 five and five pitcher for Game 3. Martin responded by saying he started him because... I'm the manager. That's why. <laughs> Typical Martin. <laughs> yep. Martin was fired a couple of days after that. Well, not, man, there's a not appreciated. Right. <laughs> Martin was out of the game the following year. He worked for a local radio station until the Detroit Tigers came calling. In his first season in the Motor City, Martin led the Tigers to 91 wins, good enough for second place. Martin kept his job for a while in Detroit, winning the AL West title in 1972, but he had no shot against the Swingin' A's in the playoffs. The series was marred by a fight in the second game. A's shortstop Burt Campanaris threw his bat at Tigers pitcher Laren LeGros. Say that a couple of times. I'd rather uh, not. Yeah, don't worry about it. After being hit by a pitch, Martin... Who, as we know, had a short temper, lost it and just went crazy running out trying to get Campanaris as the as the benches cleared. Oh, jeez. The next spring, Martin played peacemaker in Lakeland, Florida, when rookie Ike Blessett got into an argument at a restaurant. Martin took the player outside to calm him down. But when he did, police arrived and Martin said the cops used derogatory statements towards Blessett, who was black. Both Martin and Blessitt were arrested and charged with, get this, using profanity in public.
1: <laughs> wow. Didn't know that was a law.
0: I didn't either. Maybe it's a Florida thing, but yep. I, man, I would be in a lot of trouble if that was.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, you would be.
0: <laughs> Especially when I'm at the, st- the stadium and the, yeah, yeah. the bullpen becomes involved for the A's. Yes. A couple of days later, Martin got into an argument with Tigers GM Jim Campbell, and Martin quit. He walked out for one day. He came back the next day, was rehired, and ended up managing the club for the rest of the year. But uh, get this, he did not actually finish the year in the dugout. He was actually suspended for the pe- last couple of games of the season. He was caught ordering his pitchers to throw spitballs <laughs> about a week left in the se- in the season uh, Gaylord Perry was on the mound opposing uh, the Tigers, and Martin was upset because he knew Pe- he knew Gaylord Perry was putting little something extra on his pitches. If you know what I mean.
1: Gaylord Perry, it, it, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, was known uh, very well for we, we'll call it doctoring baseballs.
0: He never lacked uh, an excess of saliva or Vaseline. Yeah. On his body. Yes. So Martin, you know, knew he was putting something on the ball. So he told his pitchers to do the same. And then, for some reason, admitted it in a press conference after the game. So he was suspended for the end of the season. Uh, Also, during this season, Martin got upset at something that I can truly get behind. Organ music. It sucks. (laughs) I hate organ music. I can't stand it. So Martin was quoted as saying, I'm going to call AL president Joe Cronin and complain about the organ music that's going around in our league, especially in Oakland. They don't play music, he says. They just blast out noise. I don't mind when there's no action and they want to get the crowd going. But what the hell is this? I I think when our pitcher is ready to pitch, the organ should cut that crap out.
1: Well, yeah, I'm in agreement here.
0: Uh, I'm 100% behind him here. Then he went further, though, trying to figure out how to retaliate or to turn it to his advantage. He said, I told one of the umpires that if the guy didn't stop it, I was going to go up to his booth and break his knuckles. (laughs) If I don't get any satisfaction from the league, I'm going to go out and get one of those air horns. And when their pitcher is about to throw the ball, I'm going to let it go with a blast. In fact, I'm going to fill my dugout with these horns. If they can play the organ, I should be able to do that. (laughs) <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to take up Billy's cause today and just try to stop the organ music at parks. I just don't like it.
1: Like, yeah, it's uh, I don't think anybody's actually playing organs anymore. I think it's all. Oh, well, there
0: are, you know, the, uh, the 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 Dodgers for sure have an organist. He's I know right where they right where he sits.
1: The Mariners um, used to have this dude, uh, Art Foonman. That
0: mm-hmm. was a really
1: good organist. I, I re- remember that I haven't seen him in a while.
0: Yes, I've heard some stories about Art Fumann. Yeah. Uh, I know, though, that, yeah, there are plenty of places that do not employ an an actual live organist anymore. Yeah. Uh, Okay, again, I'm getting distracted here. Let's get get off organ music and back to Billy Martin. So Martin was done in Detroit for good after that. Uh, Texas Rangers owner Bob Short heard that Martin was available. And this is what he said to his current manager, Whitey Herzog. When he heard that Martin was available, he said, I'd fire my grandmother for the chance to hire Billy. (laughs) So he's saying this to his current manager. (laughs) Right. Few days later, Short fired Herzog and hired Martin, leading the deposed Rangers manager to say, I'm fired. I'm the grandmother. (laughs) I think Herzog did fine for himself after leaving.
1: Yeah, he did. uh, He did find some work.
0: Uh, the Rangers went from losing 100 games two seasons in a row to winning 84 games and 74 under Martin. The guy could get results. Uh, until, of course, the next year when they struggled and Martin was fired midway through the season. I just love how these, these guys are like, oh, you're doing great until you, that you hit one <laughs> speed bump and then you're out.
1: You lose a few games, see ya.
0: But we haven't even gotten... To George Steinbrenner, yet. Nah, that's a crazy part. <laughs> it's, it's just, it, it seemed like there were some quick triggers to fire people uh, in the 70s and, and early 80s. Mm-hmm. So Martin was not employed for long uh, because this is the first time the aforementioned George Steinbrenner came knocking. Martin was named the Yankee manager on August 1st that same year, and Martin led the Yankees to the World Series the next season. Unfortunately, there they were swept by the big red machine. Martin, though, did not get to see the final out of that sweep. He had been ejected earlier in the game for throwing a baseball at home plate umpire Bill Deegan in the ninth Whoa. inning. Oh, <laughs> Martin, however, claims that the umpire had thrown balls at him throughout the game when pretending to change them out and would just chuck them at the dugout right where he was standing.
1: Lee Wire's calling time. Bruce Fleming is calling time now at first base. They got some jawing going on. Billy Martin and Fremming. Oh, he threw Martin out. Here we go. Bottom of the ninth inning, and now Fremming is going after with Martin. I tell you, I thought in the World Series, you had to have a little patience.
0: Uh, Nationally, Gumps, by the way, in 1976, wore some awesome hats. They look like the Pirates We Are Family hats, where they had stripes going around them. (laughs) It's kind of an interesting look. Very nice. But uh, I'll post a video here of, of Billy... Billy getting ejected in the World Series, and you can see those great, uh, great hats. Just check the show notes. I got a lot of videos of Billy Martin getting ejected. Nice. The next season was a big one in New York. Reggie Jackson arrives in pinstripes. Uh, Martin had wanted to sign Joe Rudy in the offseason to be their big free agent acquisition, but uh, Reggie had been on Steinbrenner's radar, and what Steinbrenner wants, Steinbrenner gets. And Reggie joined the team. This was the seed, the initial seed for that George Steinbrenner-Billy Martin feud. It was the pee under the mattresses that just festered. Uh, Martin started a feud with Steinbrenner and, of course, with Reggie. Because Reggie being Reggie and that huge ego Mm -hmm. caused Billy to be Billy. And he, likewise, had a, a large ego. But if you know anything about the Yankees in the 70s, you know they were at their best when they were dysfunctional. Billy refused to bat Reggie in the four hole. They jabbed at each other through the media, and this came to a head in June in Boston at Fenway Park on the NBC Game of the Week when Billy thought Reggie was dogging it in right field and didn't come in and field a ball quickly enough. Martin took Reggie out of the game right there in the middle of the inning. Man, that's embarrassing. And when you're Reggie Jackson and have that that ego, yeah, that is really embarrassing. So Reggie gets to the top step of the dugout and immediately he and Billy Martin are chest to chest pointing at each other and yelling in the middle of the game, middle of an inning. And they had to be separated physically and sent to separate, separate ends of the dugout. Of all people, George Steinbrenner actually played peacemaker and brokered a deal, a peace deal between the two of them. Reggie was moved into the four hole. The Yankees went on to beat the Dodgers in the World Series that year. So it worked out good. But that was as good as it was going to get. Next season, Martin immediately got into trouble by once again jabbing at Reggie and Steinbrenner in the press. In one game, Martin actually told Reggie to bunt. (laughs) Reggie Jackson, don't bunt. (laughs) I can tell you that. (laughs) So Reggie gets the sign from the third base coach. And he immediately steps out of the box and he his head like whips over to the dugout and there's Billy and they start yelling at each other. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So, you know, Reggie half-heartedly bunts at the first pitch. So Martin then takes off the bunt sign, but Reggie, out of spite, keeps trying to bunt and strikes out. <laughs> so Billy suspends Reggie for five games for this act this act of defiance. Uh, Later on in the season, July 24th, Martin resigns just too many, too many arguments. He's had enough again. Martin breaks down in tears in this press conference. It's it's an interesting press conference. He is he is unable to get through it. But a week later, guess who shows up at Yankee Stadium for the old timers game? (laughs) <laughs> it's Billy Martin. <laughs> now, if you don't know about the old timers game at, at Yankees at the Yankees, this is a big deal. Every year, all these Yankee legends come back and they play a game in front of a sold out crowd. It's a big deal. So Billy shows up, puts on his number one uniform and goes out there he's announced to the crowd they give him a standing ovation and they they make an announcement and put this message up on the on the the scoreboard it says billy martin will be returning in 1980 as the manager now remember this is 1978 (laughs) (laughs) so wow so they're already making the announcement that, hey, in a year and a half, this guy's going to come back. <laughs> oh, my
1: gosh. So in
0: 1978, uh, Bob Lemon was the manager and they won the World Series that year against the I think it was against the Dodgers. again. I think so. Yeah. So uh, the next year comes around, though, 79, and they struggle. They scuffle. And so, you know, what is does what George Steinbrenner do? Hey, he fires Bob Lemon and brings Billy Martin in early. Of course. Uh, they didn't make the playoffs that year. Martin got into trouble, though, off the field in particular, knocking out a marshmallow salesman at a bar and was once again shown the door.
1: Why is, wait, why did you point out there was a marshmallow salesman? Was that a big deal? <laughs> who? Was the guy walking the- around handing out marshmallows, charging a who quarter? Who the what?
0: hell is a marshmallow salesman? <laughs> I just picture, like, Somebody like Harold Hill in the music man with this big you know suitcase walking around with marshmallow samples <laughs> going into I don't know ice cream stores uh, I don't know and just opening this up with all these samples he's a traveling marshmallow salesman I don't I'll tell you
1: what man uh, if if a marshmallow salesman got a little too saucy with me I uh, I might throw a punch I, I don't <laughs> got time for these these crazy marshmallow salesmen getting in my grill like that.
0: No, well, Billy knocked him out with one punch. Of broke course. his cheek
1: yes. and knocked him out with one.
0: Punch. Little known fact: uh, the American version of the Office, uh, instead of uh, selling paper, it was uh, originally going to be marshmallows. Nice. Yeah, I made that up. That's okay, not true.
1: that would have been awesome.
0: All right, so this led Billy to uh, an opportunity on the other coast and his hometown of Oakland in 1980 where he's hired by the A's. In his second season, Martin leads the young A's under his Billy Ball brand to the playoffs where they lose to his former team, the Yankees. Incredibly enough, though, when Martin is announced during the starting lineups at Yankee Stadium during the ALCS, he got a standing ovation from (laughs) Yankee fans. Like, they just love him. I mean, you know, from his playing days to his managing. So this is when I got into baseball. Was in the early 1980s going to A's games at the Coliseum. Billy Ball, I remember I remember this great this great parody song they did. You you, you remember the old song Charlie Brown, you know, he's a clown, that's yes. Charlie Brown. Yes. So they 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 made one for Billy Ball. I remember Billy Ball, I had a poster, and of course Ricky Henderson uh, in his first couple of years under Billy Ball would just he would just get on base and just be on standing on third base. Um, so I grew up, I didn't play stratomatic. I played a game called status pro yes. and the Ricky Henderson card from these early 80 teams, it said on the card this, and it was only for Ricky Henderson that if he reaches base, he must try to steal. so it's not like you know in these games you get to decide who you know i'm gonna try to steal against this guy no it says if he gets on base you have to try and steal (laughs) doesn't mean he'll always go but you've got to at least you know flip the card and see if he's gonna go or if he makes it or he's
1: out right that's funny
0: Uh, yeah the next year however the a's uh one year removed from the playoffs struggled so guess what happened to billy martin
1: i'm gonna guess that he got fired
0: he got fired. That's oh, right,
1: and right again.
0: It's okay though because George Steinbrenner still owns the Yankees. <laughs> Martin was named manager of the Yankees for the third time. Uh, this led to another. We talked about uh, Miller Lite commercials when we did Bob Euchre last week. Well, right. there was another. Miller Lite was just the king of baseball commercials um, during this time frame. Uh, the great Miller Lite commercial with Billy and George sitting at a table at a bar arguing whether the beer was great tasting or less filling.
1: You know, a lot of people think Billy and I argue all the time. Actually, we agree on just about everything, right, Bill? Yeah, You betcha, George. We even drink the same beer. Light beer from Miller. Light's got a third less calories than their regular beer, and it's less filling. And the best thing is it tastes so great. No, George, the best thing is less filling. No, Bill, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy, it tastes great. Less filling, George. Billy? Yeah, George. You're fired. Oh, not again. Uh,
0: we've talked about the uh, the George Brett pine tar game before, I believe. Mm-hmm. Well, George Brett hit a home run late to put the Royals up over the Yankees, the, but the bat was deemed to have pine tar that was too high up and Brett was called out. The home run disallowed. George Brett, of course, loses it, comes charging out of the dugout. Everybody's seen this clip. Well... What we don't, what you don't remember often is that Billy Martin was in the other dugout. He was the one that ordered the umps to look at the bat. He had known for quite a while that George Brett had put a lot of pine tar on his bat, probably too far up, you know, further than the rules allowed. And he was just waiting for the right time to use this. And this was the absolute perfect time. Uh, Of course... The, the you know he was ruled out. The um, the, you know, the home run was disallowed. Uh, it was challenged. The game was protested. Uh, baseball came back and said, "Listen, that that rule says you can only have pine tar so high, but there is nothing being done here. You know, that's harming the game. We're gonna we're gonna replay it. Uh, the the home run was allowed. The Royals went on to win the game once they started up. You know, Martin did not give up the fight over this call before the game started. When they, they replayed, they replayed the last couple of innings. Uh, he had his players throw to first to second and third to appeal that George Brett maybe had not touched a base before they <laughs> did the first pitch when that game resumed. But of course that didn't happen. And the, the Royals ended up winning uh, following the 83 season. Uh, Martin and Steinbrenner once again parted ways. Don't worry, though. Steinbrenner hired him back two more times. So that's a total of five times George Steinbrenner hired Billy Martin to manage
1: the Yankees. That's crazy.
0: Uh, little known fact, Billy Martin liked to drink. Actually, that's a, that's a very well-known fact. Yeah, that, just, I,
1: I was aware of that.
0: <laughs> just exaggerating for comedic and, purposes. And
1: there. from what I hear, it does not like marshmallows.
0: No, at least he didn't anymore. You know, right. he might have for a while. But uh, so the stories, again, uh, when he was a player, he was best friends with Mickey Mantle. And Mickey Mantle, likewise, was a fan of the drink.
1: A bit of a drinker.
0: Yes, they would go out, uh, have some just some incredible stories. And and they would both continue to drink uh, even after playing. Billy Martin, of course, uh, has a quote that I will slip in here that says booze has no effect on me <laughs> uh whether he could hold his alcohol or, or not is up for debate a lot of billy's off-field problems though sure seem to happen at bars i, I want to relive a couple of them uh, 1987 uh, it's september billy martin uh, almost got into a fight in a bar with the groom during a party at the hotel bar the night before a very infamous fight went down. He had bought a couple, a, a bottle of champagne who had just gotten married. He danced with the bride. He made friends with everybody. Billy Martin was known as being a very gregarious, uh, a real charmer when he wanted to be. But after the party left, the groom came back because he claimed Billy had said his bride had a pot belly. <laughs> Uh, Martin, unmoved, said no, and I quote, he said, I said that that woman, and pointed to another woman at the bar, had a big ass.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, get it right. You can
0: imagine things didn't really go well when people heard that in the bar, but there was no fight, everything kind of calmed down. But that was just the undercard, though, because the next night, Yankee pitcher Ed Whitson was at the bar drinking and talking loudly, disparagingly, about Martin who also happened to be at the bar so this is the, the the hotel bar where the Yankees are staying so a lot of them are down there drinking a lot of the traveling press is there as well at the bar the two had not gotten along all season uh, the team and Whitson were struggling and a guy uh, you know, just not with the team, was there at the bar, heard this, and he looks at Ed Whitson and realizes that he's a ball player. So he keeps staring at him. And Whitson did not like this. He'd been drinking. He gets angry. And he tells him to stop eavesdropping on this conversation that, of course, he was having with everybody in the bar in a very loud voice. (laughs) Uh, Now Whitson gets angry and he tells him, you know, hey, I'm going to step outside if you don't, you know. If you you don't stop staring at me. So Billy comes over and he, you know, he's playing Peacemaker and he's trying to, you know, get, he's trying to get Ed out of the bar, even though Whitson's there complaining about him. So uh, Whitson is a big guy. He's six foot three, 200 pounds. And get this, he's trained in martial arts. Billy Martin was not. uh, Billy Martin had no martial arts training. (laughs) I know that's a shocker. Uh, Whitson, though, uh, as Martin is trying to kind of move him out of the bar, throws a punch at Martin. Doesn't want to be touched. Martin goes to the ground, and then Whitson reportedly started to kick him. Martin tries to block these kicks with his forearm, which then gets broken. They were separated, removed from the bar, but they meet again in the lobby, and Martin... Is now really pissed, and he charges Whitson as soon as he sees him, who promptly kicks Martin in, shall we say, the midsection. Ouch. Uh, uh, Martin, though, did not go down. He takes a deep breath. Wow. You know, kind of one of those deep, you're kind of gritting your teeth, deep breath, stands straight up, and he says, now I'm going to have to kill you. <laughs> That's a direct quote. Now I'm going to have to kill you. So a group of Yankees move Uh, Whitson out of the hotel to the parking lot, where, of course, Billy eventually meets up with him again. (laughs) Martin apparently jumped on the group of people surrounding Whitson, and the two went at it again. So you can imagine there's just a bunch of people around Whitson, and Martin just comes running out and just jumps, you know, on top of them trying to get to Whitson. Martin falls to the ground, hitting his head on the pavement. So now he's a little dazed. Now the group takes Whitson to the parking deck and Martin is taken the other way into the hotel. He's in the elevator and he's being shepherded to his room with the trainer who's looking at his arm. Unbeknownst to them, uh, but of course, as you like to say, now known to us, uh, Whitson is being brought in the back door and taken to his room as well at the (laughs) same time on the same floor. So (laughs) the elevator opens, Martin... And Whitson are there staring face to face. They just happen to be passing at the same time. Everyone sees this and immediately just they, they tackle both men and take them in separate directions. <laughs> I, I, it's finally over for that night. Gene Monahan, the longtime Yankee trainer, he says he can feel the bones in Martin's arm moving. Ouch. Not, and that's not a good sign. So he no. takes him to the hospital. Martin arrives at the stadium the next day in a cast. The press asked him, you know, about his arm. Billy replied, I heard it bowling. <laughs> <laughs> One thing, Billy, Billy does not throw anybody under the bus here when he gets in fights. He he keeps it pretty level. But, of course, there were riders in the bar when this happened, so everybody knew what really happened. Uh, Ever the scrapper, though, the only thing that Billy complained about the fight was that Whitson had kicked him. And he said, I can't fight feet. That was all he <laughs> said. <laughs> Uh, 1988, Martin's arguments with the umpires are infamous. Everybody, you know, if you, you, a lot of people know Lou Pinella, kind of a more contemporary manager, much in the vein of Billy Martin, where he would go out there and just lose it, throw bases, that kind of stuff. Well, Martin is just infamous for, you know, kicking dirt. Throwing hats, just making a spectacle of himself.
1: So I would I would say Billy Martin is probably the best known uh, manager for throwing fits as such.
0: You know, I, I think some of our, our younger listeners might just not know, you know, might see that Lou Pinella. Right. Well, Billy Martin was Lou Pinella on steroids. He was.
1: <laughs> he was insane out there.
0: On May 30th, 1988, facing the A's, shortstop Walt Weiss hits a short line drive that Bobby Meacham, the second baseman for the Yankees, thinks he catches on the on the fly, so Meacham tosses the ball to the shortstop to throw it around the horn, rather than throwing it to first in hopes of getting the batter, because the umpires have ruled that he did not catch it, that he had trapped it on the ground, so... This just, of course, incensed Billy Martin, as you can guess. Uh, Second base umpire Rick Reed ruled that he had trapped it. And Martin comes out, as he always did, just gets right in his face. Crew Chief Dale Scott refused to overrule the call. And Billy Martin starts to swear at Scott. He couldn't be calmed down. He's ejected. Martin is kicking dirt on Scott's feet. But then he actually reaches down and picks up dirt with his hands and throws it at Scott's chest.
1: Because the umpire was behind the play, and he could He couldn't get the best angle to see whether Bobby Meacham caught the ball on the fly or not because it was the first-base umpire's call. Benny Martin has been thrown out of this game by Rick Raid. And Billy is not going to go quietly. Uh uh Uh-oh. 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 He should not have picked up the dirt and thrown it like that. Kicking is another thing. But still, this is a mistake by the umpire, compounded by throwing Billy out. They blew the call, and then they compounded by throwing the manager
0: out. <laughs> I mean, just, it's one of the greatest ejections you'll ever see. <laughs> the second base umpire, there's nobody on, on base. The second base umpire is positioned in what can best be described as playing a shallow center field. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I have to assume that umpires just position themselves differently in, in, at this time, but he is literally halfway between second base and the center fielder. So there is, And the line drive was to the first base side of the second baseman. So there's no way he could have seen what actually happened. They they really should have asked the first base umpire whether he caught it or not. But that's what led to it. Of course, I will put a link to the YouTube video of that in our show notes if you want to see that. Perfect. During the offseason following the 89 season, rumors started to swirl that Billy was going to be brought back once again to manage the Yankees for a sixth (laughs) time. Sixth time. Sixth time. Uh, Christmas Eve, however, Billy was out drinking uh, with an old friend, and uh, they were driving home. The truck they were driving skidded off the road, down an embankment, and flipped over. Martin was killed, and his friend was seriously injured. There has been a lot of conflicting stories about this accident. Um, From some of the things I've read, they say that Billy was driving drunk, Uh, Others say that his friend was actually the one driving, but, you know, uh, after this accident, he was able to get out of the vehicle, even though he was seriously hurt, and seeing that Billy was dead actually put Billy behind the wheel so that he wouldn't get in
1: trouble. I have heard that story, too.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of speculation about this, and I'm not going to say anything on it. You know, it it was a tragic accident about what happened, and, um, you know, that is unfortunately how Billy Martin passed now, Billy Martin uh, loved being a Yankee. Yankee fans loved Billy Martin. Uh, Martin said in 1961, "I never started a fight in my life, but I've never walked away when someone jumped me." Um, mm-hmm. Which kind of, <laughs> which that that's kind of encapsulates Billy Martin. Never claims he started a fight. Never mm. his fault. But you know, right. n- <laughs> he was quick to get into a fight. Uh, Martin was also given a plaque at Yankee Stadium in center field. You know where they where they kind of give their own almost hall of fame plaques to, mm-hmm. to their players out there. This was when Billy Martin was still alive during his dedication in his speech. Martin said this, I may have not been the greatest Yankee to ever put on the uniform, but I was the proudest. Mm-hmm. And uh, nice. that's something that his son, uh, his son definitely echoed in, in a couple of interviews that I, that I saw that he just loved being a Yankee. He loved putting on those pinstripes and, uh, Billy Martin.
1: Uh, a once-in-a-generation kind of guy, if that.
0: Yes. I, <laughs> I I don't know that you'll ever get another Billy Martin uh, as a player and a manager.
1: My, my father was a huge Billy Martin fan, so I grew up hearing stories of Billy Martin, and anytime uh, he would do something crazy, my dad would make sure that I heard about it. Dad was a big Billy Martin fan, loved Billy Ball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember, like I said, those, those Oakland teams, that's when I first... You know, the first time I was taken to an A's game and, and you know, just living in the area, you know, hearing the media and stuff. And I remember I remember those arguments, him getting in and kicking dirt. And I just thought that's what managers did.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. So uh, that fills up our, our, our main segment for today. It was a, a one segment job because Billy Martin is so gosh darn entertaining. But what that does mean is that it is time for us to jump into Wax Packs Heroes, one of our most popular segments. So this is, if this is the first time uh, you're listening to us, welcome. Uh, What we do in this segment is we uh, each open up a pack of, I guess, vintage, I guess we're old enough to call them vintage uh, baseball cards. And what we do is we, we see which of us uh, has the more valuable pack. Uh, sometimes we get great cards. Uh, sometimes, like last week, neither of us get jack. And... We did
1: not get anything <laughs> but commons last week. No. And it, and... and it was 1989 upper deck. So it was not like a it good, was some cheap yeah. pack.
0: These are good cards. But uh, <laughs> our, our new rule is that commons are worth nothing. So unless it is worth something according to Beckett's, Uh, It is worth nothing, and we both ended up with zero last week. That's right. (laughs) So, Mark, you've got the cards once again this week.
1: Yes, I do. I've got the cards. I've got two more packs of 89 Upper Deck. I have a left and a right. Pick one, sir.
0: All right. Well, left worked so great for me last week that I'm going to go left once more.
1: Once more. All right. 89 Upper Deck. Open it up. We're looking for some pretty good cards. So Upper Deck has a, a little rookie symbol they put on cards for rookies, guys that are going to be huge, big names and popular and famous and wealthy. And, and you got one right here, man. You have an actual Upper Deck rookie of... Ken Griffey? Juan Bell. Very close. Oh, Juan oh. Bell of the Dodgers who, who you know, had played in, had, a, had hit 300 in Albuquerque the previous season.
0: I am not surprised to tell you that that is uh, a common and worth nothing.
1: Wow. All right. Uh, how about Jim Acker?
0: Uh, I remember him specifically by being a pitcher for the Braves, but right. uh, no.
1: All right. Jim Acker is your next one. And hey, here's one for you. Rick Junkmailer.
0: <laughs> Rick Ma- also a pitcher for the Braves is is what I remember him for being. He was a but, pitcher uh, for the
1: Braves, and he also pitched for the Reds, I believe.
0: That seems right. Yeah.
1: All right. And here's another. Is This is a guy that, could, that will throw you a lot of innings and, and had a couple years where he won a lot of games. Bruce Hurst. Bruce
0: Hurst, yep. Bruce Hurst, he was from St. George, Utah, wasn't he?
1: Oh, let's take a look. It's probably on the card. Bruce Hurst from St. George, Utah. <laughs> ha ha! Very at that. nice. You get a bonus point
0: uh, again. If if only I could monetize all of this useless baseball knowledge. No kidding. I I I could retire.
1: Man, that was that was impressive. All right, uh, how do you know where Terry Blocker came from? <laughs> Uh, other than his
0: parents, no.
1: Oh, uh, if you said Columbia, South Carolina, you were correct. Uh, Terry that, Blocker's is your next card.
0: That probably Columbia, South Carolina probably would have been about my uh, 8,954th guess.
1: So it would have been in the top 10,000. That's good. Yeah. All right. How about Kevin McReynolds?
0: K-Mac. I remember him from them. Yeah. He was on those Mets teams, you know, the 86. The and... hard
1: nose, 87, 88 Mets teams. Yeah, he
0: was an outfielder, though. He Primarily was. Primarily, wasn't. I had a him.
1: little bit of pop, if I remember correctly. Could hit some home runs. Yep. Yeah. Hey, oh, hey, we got one that we talked about on, uh, this is a guy we talked about on our best nicknames episode, one of the episodes. Oil Can Boyd.
0: Ah, uh, yes. It
1: oil actually can says Boyd. Oil Can on here. It does not say Dennis. It says Oil Can Boyd. Does not refer to his first name anywhere.
0: Not even on the back. It doesn't nope. say Dennis. It just says wow. Oil Can Boyd. I don't think he legally changed his name to Oil Can I don't did think
1: he? so either. So far, I think you're at zero. Yeah, yeah. All right. And uh, Ron Oyster.
0: <laughs> now, we've gotten several of his cards because I can never pronounce his last name. Yeah, I'm it's glad you're here. it Oyster
1: or Oster? I, or I it's, think it's Oster. O-S- Oester. Anyway, second baseman for the Reds. He was a a ball player. That's all I can say about him. Um, Another red, Nick Ah,
0: He was a first baseman, wasn't he? He
1: was, and and he had some pretty good years, if I remember right. Yeah,
0: yeah. He had some good pop. He was kind of your prototypical first baseman, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think so, too. Uh, Let's see. Oh, how about Kelly Gruber?
0: Oh, Kelly Hans Gruber? Yes. Third baseman for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. That's right. The thing I remember most about Kelly Gruber was Ricky Henderson stealing third against him in the 89. Maybe it was the 90 ALCS, but Hmm. him getting up and Ricky had that flat top, his helmet had flown off. He had those lime green, you know, batting gloves getting up and just like pumping his fists right in his face.
1: Nice. Nice. Very Ricky. Yes. All right. Uh, how about Jeff Bittiger? Bittiger? Or Bittiger. Bittiger. B-I-T-T-I-G-E-R. Looks like Ah. he didn't skip a lot of uh, clubhouse meals. Uh, Right-handed pitcher.
0: What if I told you that Jeff Binniger was worth uh, $3?
1: I would say that he become like a famous movie star. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I'm just making that
1: up. Yeah, I I thought so. All right. (laughs) All right. Hey, and now for the Seinfeld fans, Keith Hernandez.
0: Keith Hernandez. Nice. Uh, what number is that? I, I there's no way that's worth anything. Yeah, that's not worth
1: anything. And someday maybe I'll tell my Keith Hernandez story, but it won't be today.
0: And yeah, we'll have to. Maybe we'll have a, uh, we'll have an after dark episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, and okay, so you got three left, man. Oh,
0: I'm feeling and good,
1: Steve Lombardozzi.
0: I th- he's still playing, isn't he? Is he really? <laughs> <There's, you> know,
1: <laughs> no. Probably I, plenty I, of commons out there with Steve Lombardozzi.
0: I, I believe he is a coach, though, for the Yankees
1: ah. in some
0: form. I, I hear his name every now and then.
1: I believe Steve Lombardozzi is famous for being the only Twins second baseman with two Zs in his last name. Mm. So that's pretty exciting.
0: That is. So good, that good doesn't get you in end. the hall. I don't know what
1: will. Right, what will? All right. And hey, how about a great left-handed reliever, Randy Myers?
0: But we get a lot of those nasty boys, don't well,
1: we? We do, we do. We we seem to run across those guys all the time. Uh he had he was coming off a year where he had a, a pretty big year in eighty-eight with a 172 RA and 26 saves it looked pretty tough out there.
0: This is eighty this is eighty-nine, so yes. the next year was the, the penultimate Reds year of That's that right. of that era when they That's beat right. the A's and they swept the A's in the World Series.
1: Uh, and your final card, sir. Uh, a, a guy who's still very popular today, Ozzie Guillen.
0: Uh Where is he popular?
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we hear his name a lot. How about that? Is that is that better?
0: Well, he, you know, he did lead the White Sox as a manager to the to their first World Series in however many years in two thousand and five. There you go. Now, I, Ozzie Gian uh, I remember he was on the Braves when I was working for the Braves, and I would be, you know, I worked at field level during the game. I don't believe he ever uttered a sentence that did not have at least one profanity in it. <laughs> that dude, and he talks quick, and he swears <laughs> like a sailor. Very entertaining, though.
1: He could cuss the wallpaper off a wall, is what he you're could. saying.
0: He probably yeah. could.
1: Yes. All right. So there you go, man. Add them up. Uh, do the math real quickly. And let's see us here. A total. Carry
0: the four times that by two divided by one. And that is a goose
1: egg. Nice. So Shut two out. in a row with a shutout.
0: Yeah, we've got some offense issues.
1: Yeah. OK. Uh, going on to my pack. First of all, let me let me point out you got a Royals hologram and a Giants hologram in your pack. Uh, I got yeah. the Yankees and Orioles. Wow! All right, now you got a you got an upper deck rookie yep. in in your pack. Um, I also am starting off with one, but not the number one card as Ken Griffey Jr. The number three card, the great rookie Tony Chance. <laughs> I <laughs> have never heard of Tony Chance. Okay, so we don't get anything for Tony Chance. However, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce my next card, the newest Hall of Famer, Edgar Martinez.
0: Edgar, what number is
1: that? This is number 768.
0: Well, now this uh remember the, the, the Beckett's that I am looking at is uh two months old at this point because I'm just too cheap to buy a new one. <laughs> so this uh this did come out before the Hall of Fame. Uh but that uh, and we are going by this book, uh, is a common.
1: Jeez. Really? Because it's like a second year. Okay, I won't argue with the book. Oh, no, and- yep.
0: It, there's an Omar Vizquel rookie this year, but uh, which is very close in number to to that card, but no, no Edgar. Yeah,
1: no such luck. Well, it's cool to me, okay.
0: No, I, I yeah, yeah, probably worth something in your neighborhood. I'm
1: I'm happy. Um, and we got next card, Dwight Smith. Dwight Smith, Cubs? this is a valuable card for a while.
0: Yeah, he yeah, was uh, he. he
1: was a big up and coming rookie.
0: Yeah, was was it? Did he win the Rookie of the Year with the Cubs, or who was I thought the— I it was White
1: Smith, yeah, I thought so. His card number 780.
0: Uh, I can tell you that's a common. <laughs> okay. Uh, he finished second in the Rookie of the Year uh, balloting in that year, behind Jerome Walton, his teammate.
1: That's it, Jerome Walton, yes.
0: Uh, coming in third was Greg Jeffries of the Mets. He of the huge forearms uh, uh yeah. some other uh, after that derek Lilliquist, andy bennis charlie hayes and greg harris
1: gotcha well you know it's uh it, he, he made a showing my next card manny trio
0: manny trio i remember him i couldn't tell you anything about him
1: cubs infielder lifetime 260 hitter uh you know he played ball and up next, John Cerruti, or as my friend Jason used to call him, John Cerruti and his big fat booty. So, <laughs> John Cerruti, Blue Jays pitcher from Albany, New York. And uh, looked like he, uh, he was also a major league player. Can't see that being worth anything, though.
0: You're, you're spot on.
1: Okay, here we go, man. Now I got a painting one. It's a checklist. However, okay. it does have Mike Schmidt on it. So the Philadelphia Phillies checklist, uh, number 684, probably still not worth anything. But now, it's got a cool if, Mike Schmidt on it.
0: Yeah, now if it was just a Mike Schmidt, number 406, that's worth 75 cents.
1: Oh, dang it. Well,
0: But no, no soup maybe, for you.
1: No soup for me. Maybe this yes. guy will bring my soup for me. Orel Hershiser.
0: Orel.
1: What Heart
0: number 661,
1: is that? The 1988 NL Cy Young Award winner.
0: I am afraid that that is a common.
1: Still zero for me. <laughs> How about Gary Thurman? No, that's not going to be valuable.
0: Yeah, I'm going to guess no.
1: Gary Thurman, Don August, the only guy in this entire pack named after a month.
0: <laughs>
1: so uh, Milwaukee uh, Brewers.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think now. I remember Don August. Can you think of any any other player named after a
1: month? Um.
0: Don January? Was that... I don't know if oh, i yeah. making that name up.
1: Wait, no, you're totally making that up. That's right. Yes.
0: <laughs> Let, let's put in the old uh, the old Google machine here. Don January.
1: How about Alexander October-November?
0: <laughs> no, he never made it to the bigs. No. Uh, Don January played four seasons... Okay, well, <laughs> I don't know how I came up with this name because he... Never made it to the majors,
1: and you still he, knew there was a Don January. He played
0: four years. How in the again? If I could just harness this useless knowledge, how in the world do I know somebody that never played in the majors? How do I know this guy?
1: I don't know, but you knew him.
0: Is he maybe he was a coach somewhere?
1: It's uh, maybe maybe he's my real dad. I don't know.
0: Oh well, uh, the May. There's got to be guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of some guys named May. Willie Mays? May, May. yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Trevor uh, Trevor May. There. There's like there a contemporary. Lee May. That's who I was trying to think of. Lee May.
1: There you go. Yeah. Alright. Well, um, I still got six more cards. I got a Sherman Corbett.
0: Uh, I'm not even going to look yeah. at him.
1: Goose Gossage.
0: Well, Hall of Famer, but...
1: Hall of Famer. Probably not valuable. Card 452. The only guy in the pack named after a, a duck yeah lance parish next yeah, catcher. one catcher yeah we're yes. talking
0: about hard-nosed catchers there you let, go lance okay Parrish. now let's let me let me try to deduce here in 1989 was he with the tigers or the angels or maybe the rangers i'm gonna say now i'm gonna i'm gonna say the tigers
1: oh you were so close he was with the phillies oh so, you were right <laughs> he there was man
0: with darren dalton that's right yeah. <laughs>
1: Uh, next, the Mets give us Mackie Sasser.
0: Well, speaking of catchers that
1: can't yeah, throw. that's right. The only person I've ever known named Mackie. Mackie well, Sasser. You're,
0: you're close. You're Maco. is your nickname. That's,
1: that's a good point. Maco Sasser is not a bad name. <laughs> Two cards left. One is Matt Williams.
0: Ah, the, the, the big Marine, the third base coach for the, right. uh, for the Oakland A's.
1: And a darn fine third baseman in his own right.
0: Yeah, we talked about it. I was unaware what it you know, he won several gold gloves. I always just thought of him as being a, a big power hitter, but he was a oh, good he could defensive play, he, third baseman. You yeah. bet.
1: Absolutely. My final card. It's good to end with the Seattle Mariner. Mr. Mark Langston. Ah, yeah. Good. Good. He was a lefty, right? He was lefty hard throwing lefty yep. power pitcher.
0: Well, uh, while my offense has struggled, my uh, like you, my pitching staff remains very strong and has shut you out once again.
1: Once again, even, you know, I even had a Goose Gossage card and I still didn't win anything. <laughs> a guy named after a month, a guy named after a duck or a bird of some kind. I don't know. Anyway, um, those, those 89 upper deck packs were worth every penny of the investment. Let me tell you.
0: Well, you know, it's fun to, to reminisce about them, but how can we... How can we just continue to not pull? Any it's
1: amazing. It's uncanny.
0: All right. So let's take a look at the standings uh, after another thrilling episode. Uh, I am uh, on top with three wins. Uh, you are technically in last place now because we have two ties <laughs> and yes. you have won one game. Yes. Uh Next, uh, maybe next week we'll 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 try somebody else other than an '89 Upper Decks. So yeah, we'll, I think
1: we'll try that's going to be the key. Else. Yeah, yeah, maybe some uh, garbage Pail kids or something.
0: <laughs> wow, yeah, those are those are those might be worth more than baseball cards from that era at this point. I don't know. <laughs> Just uh, a reminder, everybody, please check out our show notes. Uh, we got a lot of links in there. Uh, today, showing some great videos. If you want to see managers, uh, specifically one manager, Billy Martin, losing it, throwing hats, kicking dirt, all that fun stuff, uh, please check out the show notes. Um, uh, you can also check us out on social media. We are on both Instagram and Twitter. We are quite active there. You can find us at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. Uh, We will post things throughout the week there, so please join us, follow us, do us a favor, tell people about us. Uh, If you enjoy our show, if you want to ridicule and make fun of us and, you know, you want your friends to do the same, they've got to listen before they can make fun of us, so please tell some friends uh, about the show, and uh, Mark, I think if we're going to have people uh, ridicule us, we should probably do another show next week to give them more fodder. Are you in?
1: Yeah, I've got to, I've got some definitely uh, ridicule worthy stuff for next week.
0: Great. Well, then uh, it's uh, it's a plan. We will be back again next week. Thank you uh, once again for joining us, and we will see you again on the next edition of Two Strike Noise.
1: Thank you. God bless you. Good night.